You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 682 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland. It is Thursday evening after the Hawks lost by a final score of 111 to 106 here at State Farm Arena. As always, I apologize for the background noise. If there is any, I'm recording from my seat uh, inside the bowl, and there's plenty of activity happening with the Hawks now being out of town for a few days here. But alas, we have plenty to discuss on the podcast today. And at the top, I want to say, obviously, a better effort from the Hawks in this game. We talked all about the... uh, I would say turmoil or however you, however you want to describe that on, on yesterday's podcast. I talked about five different questions as well as the uh, Chris Haynes report from Yahoo. Um, so go back, listen to that podcast if you missed it. I thought that was a pretty good episode, pretty uh, you know, well thought out, all that, all that fun stuff. So thank you for listening as always. And click that subscribe button if you uh, feel led to do so. With that said, to this particular day, um, first thing I want to point out quickly at the top, Wood Pierce did an interview with 93 on the game on Thursday morning and said that John Collins is going to start immediately upon arrival. And uh, by the way, the Hawks, Hawks only have one more game now without him before he returns in Cleveland on December the 23rd. Uh, you know, no restrictions is what Pierce said about Collins. Um, he might be rusty, but and I wouldn't, actually, I wouldn't necessarily project 35 minutes on day one, but obviously this is not an injury. He's been able to be in shape, and I, I do think that NBA with speed is different, but at the same time, looks like Collins will be on the floor pretty quickly and a lot when he returns, and that kind of sets the stage for what I'm going to talk about next is that Lloyd Pierce came in and surprised the room, I would say, before the game with a full lineup change to start, to start this game off. Um, he announced, basically, um, that the lineup was going to be Trey Young, Kevin Herter, DeAndre Hunter. Those guys have been there all season long. Then you throw in Cam Reddish at the three, alongside Hunter at the four, and then Bruno Fernando with the start. Uh, Fernando's gotten a lot of DNPs recently and definitely has been the third center for basically the entire season. But um, instead of the lineup that they've been going with, with Damian Jones and Jabari Parker, they elected to go small in this game and also very, very young. In fact, Hawks PR pointed out <laughs> during the game that it was the fourth youngest starting five in league history. Again, fourth youngest starting five in league history, also the franchise record, so to speak, for youngest starting five in history of the franchise, the average age of 21 years old and 92 days. Pretty crazy to see a lineup that is used in that way. I'm going to play some audio for you now. Uh, Pierce was asked a couple different times for uh, some elaboration on the decision-making process. The first question um, follow-up was actually from Ben Ladner of Sports Illustrated, good friend of the program, Ben, and uh, he actually asked immediately what the rationale was, and Pierce simply said, 6-22. and 22. That was the full quote. Um, Pierce, of course, was referencing the Hawks' record at that point in time. Later on, uh, David Locke, by the way, the founder of this podcast network that you're listening to and the, uh, the voice of the Utah Jazz, asked a question about uh, lineups and all that, all that kind of fun stuff. So I'm going to play the answer, at least part of this, by the way, this is the part of the answer, not the full answer because it was a very uh, long answer. But here's what Pierce had to say. Um, this is his first sort of elaborative uh, comments about the lineup change. I've tried a number of combinations throughout the season mainly because we've been depleted by some guys um, and just trying to, you know, overcome minute restrictions and things of that nature. So we've, we've had to shuffle regardless. Uh, but today's is a little more intentional um, as we're approaching, you know, John returning in a couple of days. Still want to look at a few things leading into that. Um, not that he's going to solve all of the, the issues, but 
<coughs> figure out a couple combinations, a couple lineups, a couple adjustments, and then you know we've got to make a necessary change with him coming back anyways. Uh, we just want to figure you know who works well together and what dynamics work well together and what dynamics don't. There's some anal analytics that we've seen um, that suggests we shouldn't play one way, and there's some that suggest that there are some good things, there are some good signs uh, trending that way, and so. Um, just still trying to figure some of those things out. So with that, you can hear that he's uh, making the decision intentionally with John Collins' return on the horizon. It was a necessary change. Anyway, obviously, as he said there, with Collins coming back, he's going to start somewhere. So he had to get sort of prepare Jabari Parker to go back to the bench in some respects. And uh, the, the only surprise there was the choice to go with Bruno at the five, I think. Uh, I actually asked another follow-up later on about if the matchup dictated anything against this uh, Utah Jazz team. And uh, Pierce had the following to say after I asked that question. I mean, last time we played Brooklyn here, we were without DeAndre Hunter and Alan Crabb, and you know they started Torian at the four and Spencer Dinwiddie in mean, a really small lineup, and they had DeAndre Jordan and, and Jared Allen. I think it's Jared Allen as their five, and, and everyone else is pretty much one through four switchable. Uh, and I just felt like we missed an opportunity with DeAndre being out and Allen being out. We were forced to have Jabari on the floor chasing those guys around, and Vince on the floor chasing those guys around. And I just knew we have Brooklyn on on Saturday. We're going to do it then, regardless. And all of a sudden, you come and you have Utah, and you realize that Bogdanovich starts at the floor in a pretty good matchup, hopefully, for DeAndre Hunter. But same opportunity. And so we do have all those guys healthy. And um, I'd rather match up where I feel we're most comfortable defensively chasing those guys, and that's DeAndre chasing Bogdanovich, um, as opposed to Jabari or Vince chasing Bogdanovich or Bruno chasing Bogdanovich at the four. And, you know, eventually when we sub, then they've got to, they've got to try and match up with Jabari when we feature him or play through him. Um, but that was predicated by the Brooklyn game more so than anything, and this was just an opportunity to do so leading into the next Brooklyn game as well. So with all of that said, obviously you can hear from Lloyd Pierce that it was at least tactical and somewhat of a nature, I think at least part of it, uh, particularly given his response to 6-22, was that he wanted to ticker with something. And also, go young, because this is a season in which the Hawks are building. That's my analysis, not what he said, but it does feel like an appropriate measure in some respect to go young, to go future-facing um, there. He did talk about the Brooklyn game, as you heard there, and actually, I thought the game plan, spoiler alert for this game, was actually quite good defensively, and it made a lot of coherent sense, and it was very effective defensively in this game. Um, it is notable to me that Pierce did not talk about Bruno Fernando specifically in any of those answers that um, we asked of, of the follow-ups, and there was not really any elaboration on why he went to Bruno instead of Damian Jones and Alex Lenz, so I'm just tempted to just think that it was a change-up, maybe because of youth, maybe because of uh, something different, I'm not really sure, but he, did, he intentionally, I think, did not talk about Bruno and any of that stuff, just talked about going small. And then in this game, by the way, Vince Carter and Damian Jones did not factor at all. So we'll talk about that as we go in here. But I want to set the stage a little bit there because it was definitely the biggest talking point of this game. You know, the Hawks did play competitively and I thought pretty well overall in this spot. That is, of course, the biggest takeaway. But coming into the game, and by the way, Pierce said as well, after the game and before the game, this is going to be the same lineup that they use again on Saturday. Um, obviously, when John Collins returns in Cleveland on December 23rd, things are going to change there. I'm not sure. You know, there's questions to be asked about what the lineup's going to look like. You know, if you wanted to model after this particular game, you might go with Collins at center. But... Pierce did say after the game that this is not a game plan that you can use all the time. They wanted to sort of attack this lineup particularly, and Gobert's, Gobert being a non-shooter, et cetera, et cetera. A lot of those teams, Brooklyn does, though, fit the profile of Utah and that they're playing a non-shooter with DeAndre Jordan or Jared Allen almost all the time. So that's another spot where you can probably do that. But night in, night out, I can't imagine 
I, I, guess, I guess I can't imagine, but I would not guess that John Collins is going to be a full-time starting center, which means they're going to have to play him power forward, and suddenly you're back to a, back to a traditional lineup. Maybe, maybe that's Bruno, maybe it's Alex Lynn. We will definitely see, but nothing is assured at this point in time other than the guys who we know are going to be playing, like Trey Young, like DeAndre Hunter, Cam Reddish, Cam Herter, John Collins. Those, those guys are assured of playing time. Everything else is kind of up in the air at this stage, and that kind of makes things interesting <laughs> looking ahead um, as we get going to the game and all that stuff in this spot. But definitely wanted to play some context there because I got a lot of questions about what the lineup, what the decisions were, and obviously they um, quote-unquote worked to some degree because they were pretty uh, pretty competitive in this game. All right, after a quick break, we will talk about the game itself, but here is a word from our sponsors. All right, it is time to discuss what transpired here, and I will fly through the game um, as it went into the individual program. Um, second, I guess, longer podcast in two days, but uh, that's what happens when there's a lot of interesting stuff to talk about on the podcast. But um, early in the contest, it was a lot of back and forth, and honestly, this is a very, very close game kind of throughout. There was there were not a whole lot of big leads. In fact, there was one, one double-digit lead in the entire game that I could track here unless I, unless I missed something. Just a lot of back and forth, a lot of mini runs, but nothing terribly extended on either side. Um, Hawks got in foul trouble early on, and that was a theme throughout this game. DeAndre Hunter got two fouls in the first 43 seconds. They went to Bembry, which was notable because Bembry has not been playing a whole lot recently. He was definitely in the rotation in this game. We'll talk about that more later on. They had Trey Young guarding Royce O'Neal for most of the night with Cam Reddish on Donovan Mitchell. People were talking about that after the game. The Hawks have been leaning on Reddish to guard smaller guards throughout the season. Um, whenever they're prominent players, obviously Trey's defensive limitations are well documented, but they want to take him off of the best players sometimes if they're able to do that. And that allowed um, Reddish has been pretty good against smaller, smaller players. And by the way, Reddish is actually pretty good in this game overall. Whereas Hunter is more of a physical defender in some respects and has been getting the assignments on the bigger wings and the power forward type. So something to keep in mind there as we get going here. Um, a lot of havoc being wreaked by Rudy Gobert throughout this game defensively. He's just a monster around the rim. That's no, that's no surprise. But the Hawks did have their first run, a 7-0 run early in the game with Cam Reddish scoring first of the, seven of the first 11 points for the Hawks. And a nice solid start for Cam. The offense was hit and miss early. The defense was better early. Um, with this lineup than it, than it had been previously. I thought Bruno Fernando was actually pretty good in this game um, compared to where he has been recently. There was an Evan Turner sighting for the first time in a long time. It was the first time that he has played minutes at all since last Wednesday and even beyond that. The first time he's actually played the rotation um, non-garbage time minutes since December 4th. So almost two weeks. Actually, no, two, more than two weeks since uh, Turner actually played in the rotation and uh, he was limited in this game. We'll talk about him later, but that was an interesting decision to go with Turner over Vince Carter. Um, Alex Lang got two fouls early. They played a 10-man rotation in this game overall, and uh, that was the case from the first quarter all the way through the entire game. There was a weird lineup that was played. A lot of small ball, a lot of Jabari Parker at the five, honestly. But the one that sort of I circled was Young, Crab, Bembry, Turner, and Parker was a lineup that I've not seen much, if at all, this season. That was a weird one in a lot of ways. There was a 14-6 extended run by the Hawks to go up by five points. Interesting to see them kind of play well early on in this game and have the lead quite a bit. I thought Trey Young throughout this game actually actually handled the ball a little bit less. You won't notice that in the box score because Trey took 28 shots, but I thought he actually was playing off the ball more than he has been this season. I think that was kind of an intentional choice to have him operate away from the ball some more in this game. Um, offensively, the Hawks had a 120 offensive rating in the first quarter of this game to lead 30-28. to 28. Jabari Parker came in after not starting. He actually played quite well offensively in this spot. Lloyd, Lloyd Pierce praised the way that he played here. He had 11 points in the first quarter and uh, really took advantage of, it, of the advantage situations that he was given in this game. I think that's kind of the archetype with Parker moving forward, and we saw that early in the year. He played 24 minutes in this game, and that's when he actually had it going. So um, just kind of taking him off starting lineup, having him beat up on second units, and uh, just 
doing what he does well versus having to have him overextended in the way the Hawks have had to do in the last couple of weeks without John Collins. Also, I thought Cam Reddish was awesome in the entire first quarter. I made a note of that. I thought it was probably the best quarter, of, maybe not the best quarter of the season, but certainly on the short list of best quarters of the season from Reddish. I thought he played very well. It was not just the scoring. I thought his defense was very good throughout this game um, also. In the second quarter, the starters came back to start the game. Sorry, they start the second quarter, and the Hawks led by as many as 11 points. They actually went up by 11 with about five minutes to go in the third period. Um, the, the Jazz, though, started cracking at that um, um, margin a little bit. Um, they targeted Trey Young in the post a few times with some pretty good success, and it was an 11-2 run by the Jazz late in the first half to get back within two. Ultimately, the Hawks led by four points at the halftime break. They went even smaller, actually, late in the first half with Young, Crab, Herder, Reddish at the four, and Parker at the five. That was a tiny lineup that had some mixed results, I would say, defensively. Also, a bit of a low light in a funny way, though, is that Kevin Herter had the worst dunk attempt you'll ever see in your entire life. I'm sure you saw this on Twitter if you are on there at all or on Facebook or whatever. The video made the rounds even nationally about how bad, how bad this was. It looked, it looked like Herter got a wide-open fast break. It looked like he changed his mind about halfway through his dunk attempt, tried to do something else, and uh, it failed spectaculars. It's failed spectacularly. So I'm sure if you Google that, you can find it on peacetroops.com as well. Um, I'm sure it's out there to be found. But that was a pretty laugh-out-loud moment. And I'm glad the Hawks didn't lose this game by two points, but uh, that was a brutal one in a lot of ways for Game Reddish. Still a very positive first half. The Hawks held the Jazz to one point per possession, so a 100 defensive rating. That is very good, um, particularly um, with the way the Hawks have been playing defense recently. They forced 10 turnovers. Trey Young had 15 points in the first half. And the Hawks shot the ball well, had a lot of turnovers, but still a good offensive first half as well. After the half, pretty shaky start in some ways. A 15-6 to extended run by the Jazz to go up by five points. In fact, Utah had a three in the air by Joe Ingles to go up by eight. That would have been a huge shot, but a pretty big swing in favor of Atlanta from that point forward. An 8-0 run by the Hawks to go up by three points after Alan Crabb hit a three. That was a big stretch. Um, another, but more foul trouble. Bruno got his fourth foul. There was a bad stretch by Evan Turner that I thought. He was ball stopping. Took an also just a absolutely horrendous contested mid-range jump shot that has to be excised from his game immediately. But four fouls on Ferrando, four on Hunter, four on Lynn, four on Kevin Herter, all in the third quarter. It didn't, like, nobody fouled out until the very end with Alex Lynn. But uh, definitely foul trouble was a concern throughout this contest. The Hawks led by three uh, sorry, led by one point at the end of the third quarter, though, even with the uh, lack of... I would say burst in the third quarter. They still were able to hold on to the lead briefly. Uh, in the fourth, it was a lot of back and forth, although Utah did take the lead fairly quickly. There was one nice stretch by Atlanta to open the fourth quarter with Trey Young hitting an absolutely gorgeous crossover step back three to go up by six points after the Hawks started off very well offensively in the fourth period. Um, Utah, though, after a timeout, scored the next eight points to retake the lead. The Hawks did not score for about a three-and-a-half-minute period. Pierce referenced that in his post-game address about how that was kind of a letdown spot for Atlanta. There was an air ball free from Bruno Fernando. Young um, also was on the court for this. Normally when the Hawks have these long droughts, it's without Trey Young on the court, but he was on the court and could not really stop the lead in there. He did hit a big three, though, um, after that to sort of break that drought um, to get back within, uh, actually to go up by one with about six minutes to go. From there was a lot of back and forth. Donovan Mitchell took over a little bit down the stretch of the fourth quarter. There was a big uh, three by Kevin Herter to tie the game at five minutes to go. Um, I thought there was a really, really bad Cam Reddish turnover that led to a fast break and a layup with about three and a half minutes to go. Um, Herter actually derailed, derailed that possession a little bit, but her, um, Reddish had a bad moment in his, um, as he's want to do sometimes this year, um, if a run out there and then Utah goes up by four points. The Hawks did get, did get back within two at one point after that. Um, but uh, after a missed floater by Troy Young with about two and a half minutes to go, Ingles scores to go up by six from Jabari, uh, from the Jazz, I mean, and then Jabari misses a contested shot. Um, Rudy Gobert 
score, sorry, missed a layup. They actually opened the door for the Hawks. The Jazz looked to be in total control. They, they had the ball up six with about a minute and a half to go. Got a great shot from Gobert. He missed it, which, again, opened the door for Atlanta. Then uh, Kevin Herter gets fouled, makes both. And suddenly the Hawks are down by four with 103 to go. That's fairly manageable. Obviously, you're a big underdog in that spot, but still a winnable game in that way. And then, the Hawk, and then Herter hits another three with 30 seconds to go, and the Hawks are down by three. Now, you don't, you don't have to foul there, but it's a spot where you have to get a stop. Obviously, you're, you're down by three, 30 seconds to go. They didn't foul um, until the end when they, when they weren't trying to. Don Mitchell got to the rim. Len fouled him there. Len fouls out at that point, and it's suddenly it's back to five with 13 seconds to go. That's pretty much the end of the game at that point. Um, the Hawks did have the ball quickly. Could have maybe had a quick two situation, but Hunter got denied at the rim by, Go, by, by Gobert to basically officially end the game. Um, Gobert did miss both free throws, which was the delight of the crowd as the as he provided free Chick-fil-A for everybody, but um, that was kind of it still, and uh, that was the end of that. But after all that play-by-play stuff, back to the big picture a little bit here, the Hawks' defense was quite good in this game by their standards. A 105 defensive rating is not elite by any means, but so, certainly a lot better than it's been, and uh, Utah was at least part of that, but uh, the Hawks did a pretty good job in playing defense in this game and, again, executed very, very well the game plan that Lloyd Pierce provided for them in this game. He was he was praising that, and I think um, as the coaching staff has been maligned a little bit recently, I thought Pierce did a very, very good job scheming up this game and uh, kind of getting in the heads of Utah to some degree. Offensively, it was more of a mixed bag. The fourth quarter was pretty ugly for Atlanta, 22 points uh, in the fourth, including uh, I believe it was a 8 of 23 from the floor in the fourth for the Hawks. Um, Trae Young had a nice little run early in the fourth, but after that, that was kind of it for everyone and the offensive numbers speak for themselves, about 100 defensive offensive rating, I should say. Um, turnovers were the biggest issue there, but just didn't make a ton of shots when it mattered. And um, that's kind of the mark of a young team in some respects. This is kind of a loss that you will probably be okay with if the Hawks weren't already losing, you know what I mean? It's interesting to say that out loud for the first time as I'm thinking about it here. But, um, you know, coming into the year, if you told me the Hawks lose by five points at home to the Jazz in competitive fashion and lean on the young guys to do it, that's a pretty reasonable result, and the Hawks did cover in this game, if that matters to you at all. It's a pre- usually a pretty good indication of that the, the team actually played fairly well here. Utah has been struggling to some degree, but they're still a much better team than the Hawks are, so to come out and play well and lead quite a bit, even in the fourth quarter, it's a pretty good result. It's just kind of hard to swallow a little bit when you lose a sixth game in a row, and you're 17th out of 19 games. That's kind of brutal, but still, I think overall a very, very positive evening for the Hawks, um, even with the lineup changes and all of the uh, questions and all that stuff. Um... Very interesting um, individual stuff to get to as well. I will say um, it was the, the rotation stuff is interesting. Damian Jones started 19 games in a row before this. 19 games in a row he started, not just played, started, and then he went DNPCD in, in this game. I'm okay with that because Bruno um, is more of a part of the future, I think, than Damian Jones, and obviously Alex Len is better than both of them. So if you're going to do this, if you're going to go to Bruno the starting lineup, it makes sense to go without Damian Jones. And I think with John Collins coming back, um, what Damien does well, John does better, and Damien does everything else not as well. So it's a spot where you might want to go ahead and take him out of the rotation. I, I actually see that as a reasonable decision. It is definitely jarring, though, to see a guy start that many times in a row and then not play at all. Same with Vince Carter. Vince Carter is better than Evan Turner in some respects. I do think that Turner did not play particularly well here, and if you want to criticize that, I get it. But Vince has not been playing very well at all, so I'm okay with it. 
And uh, if they want to turn his defense out there, I, I sort of understand in some respect that decision. And then Turner, uh, Turner was clearly the 10th man as well. So that's it was kind of a nine-and-a-half-man rotation. So keep that in mind when you're assessing this game. Um, but the guys who actually did play, as I said before, Turner was not great in eight minutes. Um, DeAndre Bembry, 20 minutes to see him back in the rotation. I thought he played fairly well. A couple of wild layups that actually went in for Bembry. Had a steal and a block, three assists, made some, made some things happen. It was a typical Bembry high-low game in some respects. But I, th I think probably more highs than lows. I think he, I think he played pretty well. And uh, a reminder that if the Hawks are going to do this small ball stuff, Bembry is a better player than Carter. He's a better player than Turner. So go ahead and lean on him a little bit. I'm okay with that. I think you should play. If they're going to play this style, it definitely fits him fairly well. Alan Crabb, 23 minutes in this game. Pretty quiet from Crabb. Three points. Did hit, did hit a three. Three rebounds and an assist. Um, you know, he's not fantastic defensively, but he's out there. and didn't kill them in this game. Alex Len, 17 minutes. was pretty quiet. He fouled out, which is the reason he probably didn't play even more than this. Four points, four rebounds, three assists, and a steal. He was the only guy that could sort of physically match up with Rudy Gobert, but wasn't a great Len game, nor a terrible one. And then Jabari Parker, as I said before, was really good offensively. 23 points, 9 rebounds, 5 assists, and a steal for Jabari in 24 minutes. He was 10-16 from the floor. I think Jabari played quite well. Good to see him uh, sort of getting in, into his uh, old role, which is now his, his new role again, um, I, I would say. To the starting lineup, Bruno Fernando, 17 minutes of play, so pretty limited for a starting level player, but still 4.6 4 rebounds. I thought Bruno was notably better in this game than he has been recently. Part of that's just being in the flow, but there were certainly some bad moments and some rookie moments, you know, bad air ball, as I said before, in the second half. I don't really care about that, but just the uh, not, not, not knowing where to be is a problem for Bruno sometimes, but the good, good physicality for the most part. I thought he, he did a reasonable job, as much as you could probably ask for him to do. At this point in time, Hunter was pretty quiet in this game. Not great from him. Five points, two rebounds. I thought defensively he was a little bit shaky by his standards. Offensively didn't make a whole lot happen there. Kind of a quiet, I would say, below average night from DeAndre. Um, in contrast, Cam Reddish was actually quite good by his standards. I think in the second half you saw a couple of bad Reddish moments offensively, which uh, kind of color things a little bit. But I thought he played very, very well in the first half. And then defensively, all, all game long, I thought he was pretty good. 35 minutes, he probably earned that um, with his defense. 14 points, 4 rebounds, three, uh, sorry, 3 steals for Reddish. I thought he played pretty well and was reasonably efficient offensively on the whole. Kevin Herter, um, not great, I didn't think, despite having 17 points. He did have a nice little flourish late in the game when the Hawks needed some offense. He played well. In the first half, he was a little bit shakier, not as aggressive as you would want him to be, not playing with a ton of force. And, of course, he had that one sort of left out loud moment. But, uh, you know, kind of a mixed bag from Herter, I would say, despite the 17-point effort. And then Trey Young, an interesting game in some respects. 30 points for Trey to lead all scorers um, for the Hawks pretty comfortably. But in 41 minutes, he was 9 of 28 from the floor, 3 of 11 from 3, 9 of 11 from the free throw line. Did have 8 assists and only 2 turnovers, 5 rebounds. Defensively, it was a mixed bag. You know, I don't care necessarily whether he didn't make shots in this game. It's going to happen sometimes. Trey has cooled off, I think, not unexpectedly because the way that he was shooting the ball for the first, you know, 22, 23 games of the season was unsustainable. Not in a bad way, but the fact that he had a 61% true shooting percentage, that was never going to maintain because no one at his size has basically ever done that aside from Steph Curry. Um, so I wasn't expecting that to continue. But even then, in a quote-unquote bad shooting night, he had 30 points and 28 field goal attempts. That's not terrible. It's not great in this game, but you know he, he, had a, he had a nice little stretch in the fourth quarter. He cooled off late, which is probably the reason why the Hawks couldn't score for the most part because, of course, he carries a huge workload in the fourth quarters of games. But I thought Trey... If you want to call this a bad night, I would not necessarily agree with that. I thought he wasn't fantastic by his standards, but certainly had some nice moments. And uh, he is the key to the offense, as always. And when they were on the court, when he was on the court, the offense was better than when he was off the court. So there you go. Um, all that to say, the Hawks. It's this is not a bad loss. It's just one of those things where I wish it was a 
win after a game on Tuesday that was a flop. But if you want to give credit, and I think you probably should give credit for the way the Hawks played and responded in this game. Energy was better. I think the defense was notably better in this game than it has been for a long, long time now. Um, transitioning to the future a little bit here, the Hawks only have one more home game between now and January 4th. So not a whole lot of home cooking for this Hawks team. And that is when the Bucks come to town and the Bucks are the best team in the league right now. So that's a tough spot, obviously on December 27th. But between now and then, they have two road games. They go to Brooklyn. Back to New York, by the way. They were in New York on, on Tuesday. They're going back to New York either tonight or tomorrow to play the Nets on Saturday. Um, that's a tougher game than the Knicks, so we'll see how they fare in that game. Brooklyn's not unbeatable, though, by any stretch, so that's a winnable spot if the Hawks play as well as they did tonight. They certainly can win that game. And then Cleveland next week is, of course, the return of John Collins, so we'll have a, a heavy focus on that one, I will say. And then, by the way, the Hawks have a three-day break after that for Christmas, which not every team gets, so a little bit of a rest recovery and planning sort of reintegration of John Collins' scheduling cork there, which is, pretty, which is actually pretty nice for Atlanta. So, obviously, six losses in a row and 17 of 19 is not great. The Hawks, by the way, have the same record right now that they had this time last season. They're 6-23. They're 6-23 last year, so it's a pretty easy parallel to draw last year to this year. Last year, they missed John Collins for a lot of that stretch. Not, not 25 games, but a lot of that stretch with a, with a bum ankle. This year, it's, 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 this year, it's a suspension, but that's probably the biggest reason why they are where they are where they, where they are. Same as last year, as I discussed on yesterday's podcast. So a lot of parallels to be drawn, and I think you know, getting the 29 wins like last year would not be a huge surprise. So uh, you could see a very similar path for this team versus last season. We'll talk about that more as we get going here. But thank you for listening to the podcast. As always, please subscribe to the show. Again, please subscribe to the show. I'm not planning to do another podcast until after the game on Saturday, unless unless the world ends. If you get another Chris another Chris Haynes report or a trade or something crazy like that, I could break in on Friday night. But in the meantime, you got the extra show this week with the um, sort of pseudo mailbag pod that I did yesterday. Thank you for listening, though. Please subscribe again. Tell, tell a friend, tell two friends, tell three friends. Listen to the podcast as you are traveling for Christmas as we get going closer to the holiday here and it's of course a big NBA day even if it's not one not necessarily one for the Hawks right now but thank you for listening everybody and we'll see everyone after the game on Saturday